You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open your Bibles once again with me over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to read that foundational verse in this uh, series again. Let me see if this is going to come up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. So we've been talking about this. I, I call this because this is the question I've been asking myself. And we all run into this. What am I thinking? I mean, there are times where something comes out of my mouth. And because I know that that came out of my heart, if it came out with any emphasis at all, it came out of my heart because Jesus said so, then I want to know, okay, what am I thinking in my heart that's producing this line of thought. And we've talked about this. I'm just going to run through these. Again, if you've been here the last few weeks, um, you've heard, so hopefully you have some notes on this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 from the Amplified Bible. This is our foundation verse. It says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life or the soul and the immortal spirit and of the joints and the marrow, the deepest parts of our nature. And it does these four things for us, exposing, sifting, analyzing, and judging the very thoughts and purposes or motivations of our hearts. So we've been looking through that and talking about the fact that the Word of God acts in this way in our life. The Word that God speaks when we're having time with the Lord and when He brings the Scripture alive to us or He speaks something into our hearts and our lives, all of these things take place in our heart. And the reason that this is so important, we'll make a little more progress with this this morning, is because we need to know of our thoughts, some of them come from the Spirit. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then your spirit man, the primary life in you, has been born again. You are a new creature in Christ, and the Holy Spirit actually lives in your spirit. And So some of the thoughts that rise up in you come from your spirit, from the Holy Spirit, through your spirit and into your mind. And those thoughts are going to line up with God's word and his will and his nature, his purpose for you. And then, but our soul, our mind, our emotions and our will, the Bible tells us is in a process of renovation. So some of it's been torn down and rebuilt new and some of it hasn't. And so we have thoughts that come from the spirit. We have other thoughts that come from the flesh. We have thoughts that come out of our unrenewed mind. We need to be able to tell the difference so that we know which ones to nurture, to meditate on, to grab hold of, to attach ourselves to, and which ones to intentionally reject. Thoughts that are not from God, we need to intentionally reject and not allow them to put down roots and continue to uh, flourish in our hearts. That is how our life is. Well, let me say it this way. The thoughts that you nurture are going to be the thoughts that shape your hope. Hope is a positive expectation of good coming to you from God. 
That's what hope is. It's a vision of your future that is according to God's purposes. We can break that down. You can talk about that about your life, having hope about your life. But what about having hope about your current financial situation? Hope about a relationship. Hope about your marriage. Hope about your children. Hope about, break it down into any area. Hope, hope for our nation. All right? We are designed to live with hope that comes from what God is saying to us. And so our hope, for, for good or bad, all right, is birthed out of the thoughts that we nurture. How do I nurture a thought? Well, I allow myself to think it over and over and over and over. And I allow it to just gain ground. It begins to paint pictures in my heart of what life looks like according to that thought. Well, if that thought's from God, that's painting a great picture for you and for your future. If that thought's not from God, it's painting a picture that will take you off course. So the thoughts that we nurture are going to form our hope establish our faith, and ultimately guide the direction of our life. James told us that the, and and the reason that's going to happen is that those thoughts in us, Jesus says, whatever is in abundance in our heart is going to come out of our mouths. And that's what we're going to talk about again today. We need to be convinced of what the Bible teaches, that the, the words that we speak the words that come out of us actually have the power to change things. And I'm not talking about, you know, just some weird idea. If I just say it enough, then it'll just happen. It isn't about that. But God created the universe with his words. He created us with words. He created mankind with words. He, we have tremendous, we may get to this later, we have Record after record after record after record in the scripture of God connecting with someone on earth, declaring something into the earth that didn't exist, and in many cases the opposite existed, and seeing it changed. God partnered with people to change what they believed and therefore change what they spoke. Scripture says we speak because we believe. Because we believe, Paul said, we do speak. Okay, so this is something that this isn't just some, you know, people say, oh, that's kind of a new age idea. No, the new age stole that from the Bible and perverted it. Some people get upset because they had somebody tell me a while back, oh, you're just so word of faith. And some of you know what that means. Some of you don't. What's so funny is that my strong word of faith friends think I'm not nearly word of faith enough. Okay, but there was a period back in the 80s and the 90s where God, God, the Holy Spirit emphasized the truth that we're talking about of the importance of our words in prayer and in declaration and in guiding our life and all the things we're talking about. It was a big deal. And it was so interesting living through it because there were people that began to to teach on these things that your words have power. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we're, we're going to look at some other scriptures on this in just a few minutes. And they began to teach on that. And some people interpreted that to say, to mean, well, I can just say something and it's just going to happen without me doing anything else, without me changing or whatever. So there was some perversion of that truth as there always is when the Holy Spirit emphasizes a certain church, a certain truth. There are people that, that get it twisted. There are people that use it for the wrong purposes. There are all kinds of things that go on. Why is that? 
Because we're humans, because we're a bunch of people, and God seems to be okay with still working with us on that level. So anyway, what was interesting to me was during that time, there was this emphasis on confession. It was called confessing the word. We might now say declaring the word, proclaiming the word. But it was on, I need to put the word in my heart. It needs to grow up and begin to produce and come out of my mouth so that what I'm saying is in line with God's word. And my behavior will change. My life will take on a different direction. And all of this. Well, when all that started going and a lot of people were being blessed by it, well, there were a lot of people, a lot of groups uh, in the church that got really upset about that in the church in general and uh, start calling those people heretics and getting on the radio and saying, oh, they're terrible people, all this stuff. And, and it was a, a lot of denominational churches picked that up and were doing that. Just a few years later, and I love this. This is a, I hope you're listening to me. This is a really, this is something I love about God. He started that theme in one group and they picked it up and ran with it. And there was a little weirdness, Okay. And then other, other groups totally rejected it. Those people are heretics. Don't listen to them. A few years later, the groups that were complaining about these groups suddenly had the re- revelation that, you know what's important? Professions. They wouldn't call it confessions. It was called professions, which was the same thing. It was ingesting God's word and then letting it flow. It was the exact same truth. And God, think about this. Are you getting what I'm saying? God patiently worked with his truth, with his church, to bring that truth in a way that different groups could receive it and bring the same truth up throughout the body of Christ. And now all kinds of people, all kinds of beliefs, people who totally reject stuff about the gifts of the Spirit and stuff, they still know it's important to declare the word of God and to let the word of God get deep in their heart and speak it. We do this stuff in the church all the time. We get upset, oh, God doesn't heal anymore. And then pretty soon they're seeing God heal. You know, God is just so patient with all of us. Does that make sense to you? I'm way off track. So let's get back to this. So we talked about this, that as the word comes into our life, as we're having time with God, he exposes our thoughts. That means he makes them clearly visible. Okay, we taught a lot on this the last couple of weeks. You can pick those up. The word, the word analyzes our thoughts, accurately identifies the source and nature of our thoughts. It sifts our thoughts, all right, to bring clarity and purity to our thoughts. And then it also judges our thoughts, which means to mark for approval or rejection. It, 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 uh, it means to determine the fate of. In other words, we'll know this thought needs to be rejected. This thought needs to be hung on to. So for that process to actually work in us, okay, for the word to have that place, we get to give the word place in our life. Every one of us do it. We determine the word of God's level of influence in our life. It can be just kind of out there on the fringe of our life. It can be the absolute final authority in our life. It can be somewhere in between those. It can be something that we, we love to receive it in one area, but when we're challenged in another area by it, we don't want to hear that. We can have all different kinds of attitudes toward the Word of God. But for this process of sifting our thoughts and helping us to know 
which thoughts to nurture in our lives. For that to work, we've got a couple of things. Number one, we've got to maintain an open heart to God's counsel. That means when God is just building up something that he's already deposited in us and just strengthening that, and we just love to hear that, we're open to it. Or when the Lord challenges something that we're thinking or doing or an attitude that we're holding, we're also open to that. We're open to his counsel because we know that his counsel produces life in us and through us. We know that God has the very best plan for our life. So we need to be open to him. And most all of us agree with that. The second thing is we need to be absolutely dead honest with ourselves. Because as human beings, we have a tendency to justify our own thoughts, our own emotions, our own, we'll we'll come up with reasons, you know, why. Uh, You know, the, the, the obvious, to me, offense is probably one of the most obvious examples. When somebody hurts us, maybe legitimately does something that really was wrong. It was unjust. It, it was wrong. Okay, it was wrong. And, but we still have a choice whether to become offended. And the scripture tells us offense works like a cancer to you spiritually. It just eats you up on the inside. Offense will never produce anything good in us or through us. And we do have, um, you know, maybe somebody has violated you in some way that was completely wrong or violated somebody you love. You may need to adjust that relationship. But it's wisdom to know how to adjust that relationship without getting into offense, without getting into bitterness. How do I know know I'm in offense or bitterness? Because what's coming out of my mouth is trying to tell other people, get other people on my side to know just how nasty that other person is and how much they hurt me. That kind of flow, we never see that come out of Jesus. Think about Jesus hanging on hanging on the cross and praying for the people that were crucifying him. Well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. So can I. I don't all the time, but I can because the greater one lives on the inside of me. We do not have to live as natural human beings. Okay, and that's kind of the point here. So if we want this process to work in us, one of the keys is being really honest with yourself. Learning how to admit when Okay, the, the situation shouldn't have happened and something has to change here, but I refuse to take on offense. Sometimes it's even harder to not take on a friend or a loved one's offense. Somebody hurts somebody close to you, it can be really hard not to pick up their offense against others. Sometimes they're not even offended and we get offended at the person that hurt them. Offense, I mean, literally from the Greek the 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 uh, Greek word is linked to its malignancy. It will kill you spiritually. Okay, so at any rate, we need to we need to maintain these uh, hard attitudes in order. And again, the reason this is so important is because what builds up in our oh i'm trying to advance to the next slide for you there i guess i don't have to do that today um what 
what becomes abundant in our heart, Jesus said, will flow out of our mouths. You're going to have to follow me on this because, again, it's not up on the screen today. All right, the thoughts that we nurture will form our hope, our faith, and set the course of our lives. In James chapter 3, I'm not going to read it. I've mentioned it everywhere, verses 3 through 5 and actually beyond. talks about the fact that the tongue is a little tiny member in our body, but it will direct the course of our life. Just like he compares it to the rudder on a ship. Think about the size of the rudder on a ship compared to the size of the ship, and yet that rudder sets the course of that ship. It, it can do either one. It can keep it on course. You know, if you're in a, if you're running a sailboat, especially, for instance, really any boat, but if you're running a sailboat, you know, you have some type, either a keel or a centerboard or something, and this rudder. And those things, the, the wind uh, comes into the sails and gives power to the boat, but those things either keep the boat on the right course, and, and I don't want to, I just don't even want to try to explain all this, they keep that boat in right relationship to the wind. We want to be in right relationship to the Word of God, to the breath of the Spirit. We want to be on course with, with the Word of God, empowering, filling our sails, and empowering our lives. And that rudder, you're always running that rudder and and dealing with the wind and staying on course with the wind. Or when you go to change course, you use the rudder. The rudder in our being is the tongue. It is what we are saying. What we are saying is much more important than we as Westerners believe. So here they are. Look at a few verses. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I've quoted this to you every week. This is one that should all of us should know. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What does that mean? That means death and life are in the power of the tongue. It means the words that we're speaking are releasing out in front of us death, which is everything that comes from separation with God. It doesn't just mean physical death. It means everything, all the results of sin, all the negative stuff. We're either releasing that into our lives or life, the life of God. They're both in the power of the tongue. The rest of the verse says, they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of of it for death or life. They who indulge in it. The idea there is the word indulge means to immerse yourself in. All right. So so it's this attitude that um, I'm not going to, I'm just going to indulge myself. I'm just going to plunge in to speaking. Everything that's in my mind, everything that's in my heart. That's where our culture is today. We've, we've made it so easy to sit proverbially in our basement behind a keyboard and spout stuff that we know nothing about or maybe we do know a little bit about. To tear people down, to accuse them of things, to, to uh, character assassinate people from behind our keyboard because there's no accountability. 
We were just talking about this the other day. It's one of the issues in a small town that I love is that there's accountability. You're going to see that person again. You know, you might be there at City Market and not like something that's going on and there's a big happy guy wandering around, you know, and so you lay into him and then you come to church and there he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, seriously, it's like we know each other and and there's that accountability. Well, that's missing in the general society and it makes it really easy for us. But But what we need to understand is when we're releasing that stuff, not only are we reinforcing what's going on in the earth, but that stuff's coming back into our hearts. As we, this is sort of a cycle. As we speak these things out, I believe as we type these things out, we are nurturing those thoughts. And so whatever attitudes and that accusation, okay, I'm going to get online, I'm going to accuse this person. Who's behind accusation? Who did Jesus say, who does the Bible say is the accuser of the brethren? All right, so these attitudes, our words are releasing attitudes. So it says if we indulge in it, it means to just indulge in in this outflow. This It can either be for death or for life. But the point is, what if you indulge in it, you will eat the fruit of it for death or life. Want to remember that word, fruit. It's talking about our words being fruit. Fruit is always an outward, uh, an outward product of what's going on on the inside for death or life. So it's making sense to you. All right. Book of Proverbs is filled with warnings about talking too much. I'm only going to give you one uh, this morning. You can turn with me if you like over to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17. This is Proverbs. Oh, I'm there. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. I'm going to read this one from the Amplified too. It's good in every translation, but I just like this description. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. He who foams up quickly and flies into a passion deals foolishly, and a man of wicked plots and plans is hated. He who foams up quickly. Is that a picture? I, and again, in the internet age, he who foams up quickly. I see something and I'm I'm at it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my opinion out there. I'm gonna let this out. People are much less likely to do that face to face. But on the internet, it still counts. We're still foaming up quickly. We are still letting ourselves we're not thinking about what we're saying. We're not thinking about the the consequences of releasing these words for me and for anybody else around. All right, it's letting every thought and feeling flow right through our lips, right through our fingertips, whatever it might be. We're putting every thought and feeling out there. The scripture says, if you indulge in it, you will eat the fruit of it, either for death or for life. So if you're going to be effervescent with your words, if you're going to then you better be sure, you know, depending on what you want to eat, what fruit you want to eat in your life, be sure that it's life that you're putting out. Be sure that it's life. What does that mean? That means there's a lot of things I want to say, but I can't. I don't. I could. I shouldn't say can't. I don't 
Because I don't want to eat that fruit. I don't want that setting the course of my heart and my life. I don't want that attitude coloring my hope and my faith. Does this make sense to you? Okay. Let's look at another one. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Check this out. Proverbs 13, 3. It says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. So again, if you just, you just let every thought and every feeling, we've all got negative things. We all feel that we're supposed to take those things to the Lord and get his perspective on them. But, but get that, that's amazing. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. You want to do something, you want to do one thing to protect your heart and protect the course of your life protect from from demonic influence, protect from those kinds. It doesn't mean none of that's going to be around you. It doesn't mean you're going to walk through life and and never be attacked or never have people say things about you or whatever. It doesn't mean that, but you're going to walk through guarded. You want to do one thing? Guard your lips. And it's a great prayer. Lord, set a watch over my lips. The Holy Spirit will do this for us. He'll do it. And And the way I know that, I don't know if it feels exactly that way to you, but I'll say something and it's like it rings in my ears. You know, it's like I hear myself saying it and I know that's the Holy Spirit just putting up a mirror and reflecting that back to me that he doesn't want me talking that way. And it's not because he's mad at me. It's because he wants me to eat good fruit. He wants my life to be good. So he'll, so we'll hear it ringing in our own ears and it's like, oh. What do you do then? Oh, I repent, which doesn't just mean it's good to say you're sorry, but I ask him, help me change my thinking in that place. Help me change my thinking there because that's coming out of something I'm thinking. You're never going to say or do anything, honestly, that you, that you haven't uh, thought of already, that you haven't thought about. We can't really say things until the thoughts come up. Okay? So, we, so we start dealing with it in here. So Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. All right? Let's look at another one. This is amazing. Proverbs 12, 14. Proverbs 12, 14. This is the one that really caught me one morning this week. The impact of this. It says, from the fruit of his lips, so there's that word fruit again, a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. We definitely don't think that as Westerners. We think what we do far super... I'm not saying what you do isn't important. I'm saying that the Scripture's telling us that from the fruit of your lips, that is thoughts that produce something that goes outward. All right, Thoughts on the inside. Fruit is always the outward product of life working invisibly on the inside. So the Bible tells us our behavior is fruit of the life that is working in us, whether it's hopefully it's God's life. Sometimes it's not, but either way it's fruit. Okay, Here it's telling us there's fruit of our lips. That means there's life at work on the inside of us. That life can be God's life or that life can be Thoughts and lies that we've believed. It can be lies that the devil has sown into our life and we've believed them. They can be lies that we were told from the time we were a little kid and we believed them about God or about ourselves or about other people or 
whatever it is, any of those things, they're at work on the inside of us and, and words begin to come out. And it says, just as surely as the work of his hands reward him. We get that. We get that, okay, if I want to produce good things, I have to go out there and I have to do something. I have to work. And that's true. I have to put my talents into the earth. I need to, uh, you know, I, I need to go out there and I need to build. I need to, you know, I need to get out there and do something. I need to build. And that will produce for us. We go to work every day or, or we spend time with our family and build good things into our family. We do something and we, we understand that. But this scripture is saying our words just as surely are producing something for us. The fruit of our lips. Fruit always contains the power to reproduce itself, to multiply itself. You think about fruit on a tree, you know, it, it contains a bunch of seed. And I know these days there's a bunch of seedless stuff out there. That's all man-made. The stuff God made has fruit. It has, it has seed in it. It has the ability. Not only, it, it, it goes out there and so the tree produces an orange. Well, a couple things are there. There are seeds in that orange that can produce another tree that'll produce a lot more oranges. It's multiplication. Secondly, somebody can come and eat that orange, ingest that orange. Well, what comes up out of our heart, out of the abundance of our heart and comes out our mouth is the same way. It is planting seed that is going to produce either for death or for life for us. We just don't, you know, as Westerners, I'm, I just know our, our brains are, you know, we're just not used to thinking that words have that kind of power and authority, but we are releasing life or death through our words. That will produce fruit. And somebody else can ingest that fruit. Hear me saying something. Hear you saying something. And it can begin to work in them. It can bring <clears throat> encouragement. It can direct them toward God. It can make them feel loved. It can bring healing. It can bring life. Or it can make them feel belittled. It can make them feel less than. It can make them discouraged. Um, remember when they sent the, the spies in to look at, to, before they went into the promised land or were going to go in the first time? And they send these spies in. They come back with the fruit, the giant fruit hanging between, you know, they took a couple people to carry the fruit. Ten of those spies gave a negative report and it says it discouraged the hearts of millions of people. How'd that happen? Words. Two of them, two of them had a different report. They got to go in 40 years later, <clears throat> but the whole nation spent all that time in the wilderness because they were discouraged by someone else's words. They took hold of, they ate the fruit of the unbelief that came out of those people's lips. We're designed to encourage. We are designed to release the life of God uh, through our mouths. That is, that is what, that's God's purpose and, and plan for us. And so we want to be those people. We want to be people that speak life. So let me tell you another story. So during that whole time that God was really emphasizing speaking the word uh, in the church, there were, there were some people 
that took that, and it was a little weird. It was like if you came into church and somebody said, how are you doing? You had to say, oh, we didn't. This wasn't this way at our church. But anyway, you know, it was like, you better say, I'm blessed. Don't, don't say, well, I'm actually kind of struggling today. Could you pray for me? That's a negative confession. Don't be saying that. You don't want that coming out of here. So it was kind of like, you never said what was really going on, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. I love the fact, and I love the fact at Believer Center that they never got into that. They believed, and we believe, in the power of our words, but we don't have to police each other's words. It's one thing to say to a friend, if, you, if they're just flowing out discouragement, it's one thing to help a friend realize that that's going on in their heart and help them get connected with God again and change that so that their conversation changed. That's one thing. But, to, but there were word police in the church, you know, and uh, we're not talking about that, okay? We're just talking about knowing the power of language. Um, back in Genesis chapter 11, are you still with me? Back in Genesis chapter 11, verses 6 and 7, it says, and this was the Tower of Babel situation. Okay, so people are coming together. These are not Christians. <laughs> These are not even godly people. These are just, this is the world building this tower as high as they could build it. And what was the purpose of that? It was to show that they were greater than God. I mean, that was the purpose behind it. And, and, it, says, uh, and it says, God came down, looked at it, caught his attention. They're building this tower And in verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Get this. And now, nothing they have imagined that they can do will be impossible for them. Nothing they have imagined. These are not people speaking the name of Jesus. These are not people with faith in God. But because they were one people, that means they had agreement. They were in unity. And they had one language. Nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible for them. So he says, come, let us, let Father, Son, Holy Spirit, go down, confound, mix up, confuse their language that they may not understand one another. There's tremendous power in having agreement in our heart and then letting that agreement come out of us in prayer. Jesus told us, uh, Matthew, I've got it here, Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, make a symphony together about whatever Anything and everything they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered into my name, there I am in their midst. He said, if you come into agreement, okay, two or three of you come into agreement, whatever you ask will be done. There's tremendous power in unity of heart and then in declaring that unity uh, declaring, and, and usually the, the best place for us to come together is around the Word of God. Okay, we don't like what's happening in our nation. Well, what does God's Word say? What is, what is, what is the key that God gives us toward changing hearts so that society changes? It's not just coming in from the outside and, and passing more laws. 
And I'm not saying we never need to do that. Obviously we do because Jesus isn't back here yet. But it's not just that. It's not just restriction. It is change from the inside that causes people to live for the Lord, to respect one another, to love one another, to treat one another as they have been treated and want to be treated. It's changing hearts. We look at things around us. Well, what, you know, what does God see? We look at Gunnison. We look at this valley. We look at Crested Butte. We look at the place that we live. We look at, again, the state, the nation, whatever it is. We look around us and yeah, we see what's going on there. What I want to say, what I want to declare, what I want to pray is God's picture of what he designed it to be. We've got this thing in our heads that we're... that that the role of words is just to define what we see around us. And we've called that, we uh, people, human beings, call that telling the truth. If I say, if I feel that something is bad, that something is destructive or something is falling apart, then, then my role to tell the truth is just say, well, that's, you know, that's falling apart. That's terrible. That's, you know, whatever. But that's not what God tells us. God tells us to look at that situation, recognize what it is, but be his voice of declaration into that situation. Does this make sense to you? It says that God calls those things that are not as though they were. He doesn't just say what's already there. We looked earlier in this series over in Ezekiel chapter 37. He sent Ezekiel into that valley of dry bones. What a great story. And he looked around and says the bones were really, really dry. It emphasizes the dryness. He wasn't afraid of Ezekiel knowing that the bones are dry. But then he said, okay, can these bones live? And he said, you know, Lord, you know. In other words, give me your picture of these bones. But then God turns around and has Ezekiel begin to declare life to those bones. And he did it in stages. And later on, he actually tells them toward the end of that, you know, the bones connect together and and sinews and all this stuff is coming on them. And then he says, son of man, Ezekiel, he says, hey, speak to the breath. It literally, the Hebrew says, speak to the spirit, declare, prophesy to the spirit. Figure that one out. Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to prophesy to us? Yeah, but but what he's saying is, speak my word back to me. We're invited in a number of places in the scripture to speak it, to remind him of his words. Not because he forgets. It's because we're his representatives in this earth. So when we see something that is filled with darkness, we need to speak and be light in that situation. You know, in our own lives, we look at things and, yeah, I'll, a couple steps here. I think I'll wrap this up. We look in our own lives and, and we see things. You know, um, I have symptoms of sickness in my body. And so I, you know, I begin to say, tell the truth, I'm sick. Okay? I'm not saying we should never say that. You're just going to have to stick with me here. What I'm saying is, any time that we start to draw our identity from a natural circumstance, okay? We begin, to, we begin to attach ourselves to it and pick it up. When we do that, we create a stronghold in our thinking. Instead of saying, 
I am healed by Jesus' stripes, but I'm having an experience of being sick right now. That's not who I am. It's not my ultimate reality, but I am having that experience. And so I'm going to address it as something that does not belong to me or in me. Does that make sense to you? You say, you know, uh, everything I set my hand to do is blessed. And yet my financial life doesn't look like it should. But But the Bible says, the word of God says, everything I set my hand to do is blessed. Right now, I'm not seeing the fullness of that, but that's my identity and my reality. I am a blessed person who is experiencing less financial blessing than I should. This may sound complicated, but if you just think about it, it's not. Instead, many times we'll start to say, I've heard this all my life. We start, a a sickness comes into our life and we start to claim it. We start to say, uh, my cancer, this or that my arthritis, my bad back. We start to pick up things like, you know, my family, uh, nobody's ever succeeded in my family. So that's who I am. Everybody in my family gets cancer. Everybody in my family has uh, uh, diabetes. Everybody in my family, they just this is just the reality, you know. Oh, you, could, you can never build a really strong, successful business in the, in the valley because, because government, because this person, because those people, because this, because that, because it's cold in the winter, because, you know, there's not enough water in the lake, because there's, you know, whatever. You, can never, you can't do that. You can't do that here. You cannot do that here. That's okay. We start picking that stuff up and we attach ourselves to it. We give it our name. That is building a stronghold. And next week we're going to talk about tearing down those strongholds. Strongholds are thought systems from which the devil works in our lives. Doesn't mean we're possessed. It means we're giving him a place to live in our heads. And we will talk out of it. We will act out of it. We will move forward out of it. We will build a future out of it. It's it's what a stronghold is. And we just have to understand, it's like, well, I, I heard uh, we get these things built in our minds and the devil can absolutely direct the course of our life from it. I heard somebody say just the other day, actually it was written, it is a medical fact that men can be pregnant. It's a medical fact. You're talking some, you're talking some theory. It's a medical fact. I'm talking medical fact. I was thinking, stronghold, stronghold, that's deception, okay? I mean, it's, we're at that point. Why is it? Because think about, think about the thoughts that we're taking in. I, it's, and again, to me, the internet deal is a lot like the Tower of Babel. We have this instant communication. The stupid computer will translate for us. I read things on forums about BMW motorcycles and somebody writes in German or in Swahili or whatever and there's just a little deal there you can click and it puts it into English for you. We have one language and as we pick up these thoughts and we repeat them, we are reinforcing them in the earth. That's not us. That's not our role. And we've got to realize when we're doing it, we've got to be aware enough to realize 
wait a minute, I'm not going to speak into that. We don't have to be weird. We just need to make some decisions in our life. You know what? That thought is rejected. I'm not picking it up. I'm not going to say it. I'm not gonna, I will have a discussion with somebody refuting it. If it's like in person or a person I have a relationship with, I'm not going to just sit there and argue in, with a bot someplace. I, you know, I'm not playing the game, but I am in my life with you and with the other people. I am, this is just something God's got on me so strong. I will reject those thoughts. I'm not playing the game. And I will speak life. And I will, I will speak from life on the inside of me. So, you know, what did... I'm not even going to look at the time. Uh, think about this. About when we take in lies and we make them our own. What did Satan say to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? That's what he did. That's how this whole... This whole thing got started. Somebody believing a lie. Did God really say? And when he came to Jesus, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, really, then do this. Okay? He says to us, God only loves you when you perform well. When you do the right thing, God loves you. The rest of the time, he doesn't. You're not, you're not a significant part of God's plan. You're unlovable. You can't hear the voice of God. This Holy Spirit stuff isn't for you. You're just an old sinner waiting here for the rapture. All those, I mean, it just goes on and on. The lies that we hear, if we embrace them, they will become strongholds in our thinking. They'll be thought patterns. So let me just say this in talking about, because I didn't do a very good job with it. Sorting out in our thinking, you know, okay, here's, here's my reality. Here's who I am. That needs to be defined by the word of God and by the work of Christ at the cross. I am forgiven. I am healed. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am prosperous. I am strong. I am an o- a world overcomer. I am victorious. Sin doesn't have any place in my life. Those are all truths. So when I'm not experiencing the fullness of one of those truths, which most all of us would have to admit we're not, that's an experience that can be dealt with that is outside of me, but that is not who I am. And just a simple example, and I'll wrap this up. You say, well, it would be telling a lie to say I'm healed when I have sickness in my body. Okay, so we're talking about our words being like seed and like fruit. So if you had a peach tree, or let's say an apple tree, peach trees don't live up here, so you had an apple tree, little apple tree. Oh, there's one right there. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> if you had a little apple tree and you planted it, all right, but it's little. It's not producing any apples yet. What do you call it? You're going to call it an apple tree? Well, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, but it doesn't have any fruit on it yet. What are you doing calling it an apple tree when it doesn't have any apple fruit on it? What if it dies before it ever gets a chance to produce fruit at the apple tree's funeral? Will you call it, he was a beautiful apple tree. Yeah, because even though all the fruit isn't there yet, that's what it is. Well, you 
are a child of God. You are loved of God. You are anointed of God to go out into this community and be a light in dark places. You are healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. If you're having a different experience, you're having a different experience. We all do. So address it and get us to address it with you. But don't take it inside and let it become a stronghold. Don't let it be my failure. You know, I could go on and on. I got to stop. Let's stand up and pray. How do we do? Oh, 11.02, not bad. <laughs> Peach tree, don't be, don't, don't be leaving on us. We, no, don't pick up any offense. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for what you've done in here today. And, and I just pray, Father, over the words, the, the word, your word, Lord, as we've dug into it this morning. God, bring those alive in us. Holy Spirit, incubate those words in us so that they can put it out in deep roots. And Lord, where we need correction, correct us, please. Lord, we need it and we want it. And Father, where we need just strengthening and encouragement, Father, to keep us on course, Lord, we trust you to do it. And Lord, as we go out of this place, we declare it this morning, we are lights going into some dark places. We are words of life going into some places that only know lies. God, we are people going out with your message in our hearts and in our lives. Father, to bear fruit in every season and in every way. And we thank you for that this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And you guys go out there and be the church because that's who you are. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.